0: So when I was in high school, um, I uh, like to sleep. I still like to sleep. I'm a big sleeper. I'm a good sleeper. I'm a good sleeper. Uh, I love to sleep. I love to get some rest. Uh, I can fall asleep like that. If I lay down in my bed, uh, I will be out in two minutes every single time. Middle of the day, early in the morning, late at night, two minutes, I'm out. Love it. Love to sleep, and, and it's just fantastic. So when I was in high school, I did like to sleep. Uh, and I would sleep in in the mornings, and I would be running late for school. And my mom, who is a wonderful Christian lady, uh, who I love so much, was so mean to me in high school because she would come in and turn on the lights when I'm fast asleep, and and mom, I love you, and you're looking at me (laughs) like... You know what I'm talking about. My mom's right there in the middle of the room, and she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Turn, turn off the fan. Yes, turn off the fan. There is no worse sound in the entire world than when you are fast asleep and you hear that fan shut off. There's nothing that will wake me up. My little guy can climb in bed with me, like curl up next to me. I won't even know it till the morning. But that fan goes off. Like if there's, why'd the power go out? What happened What happened to the fan? I mean, cold, dead asleep, boom. Why is my fan off? Mom's trying to wake me up again. No. Um, but like, when, have you ever been sleeping and, and just fast asleep and somebody comes in and flips the light switch on? And you're like, what is wrong with you? Why do you hate me so much? It's terrible. It's painful. It hurts. When that light comes on, it's like it's a thousand suns just burning into your retinas. It's terrible. That light comes on. You know? Well, I, there's ways in our lives when the lights come on that really hurts. I'm talking about secrets today. We're talking about secrets. And we're talking about how sometimes the light gets turned on on the secrets of our lives, and it hurts, and it's painful. When the things that we've done or the things that we've thought or the things that we've said or the things that we've thought about, when the light gets turned on with those secrets inside of our heads, inside of our hearts, or inside of our bedrooms, when when that light gets turned on, it's painful and it hurts. And it hurts not only us, but it hurts other people. When those lights come on and those secrets are exposed it can be very painful. Today we're going to finish up our series called The Vow, and we've been going through this sermon series on Sunday mornings. It's a sermon series from Life Church in Oklahoma, and uh, we've been looking at marriage for the last four weeks. Uh, we've talked about four different vows. Today is the fourth one, and we're talking about uh, and whether you're married or not, whether you're single or uh, engaged or thinking about getting married or you're formally married or you've been divorced or whatever, there's principles that apply in these sermons that speak to everybody the first one for example when we talked about the vow of priority we said god is my one and my spouse is my two god is my one and my spouse is my two and so we talked about the vow of priority and making god our first priority and making our spouse our second priority and that is uh the key to the vow of priority uh, when we talked about uh, the next week, we talked about the vow of pursuit. Uh, we talked about the vow of pursuit and we said, I will always pursue my two. I will always pursue my two. So if God is my one and my spouse is my two, then I am to spend my life uh, pursuing my two. And That's using words of affirmation, using words of affection, saying I love you because Uh, I love you because you're wonderful, I love you because you're beautiful, I I love you because you're a great mom or a great dad, I love you because you're a hard worker, that when we say those words, I love you because, it's words of affection and affirmation, and it means that we are pursuing our two, we are wooing our two. And sometimes what happens is we forget to woo our two, we forget to pursue our two, and we need to make them feel special, uh, whether it's your husband or your wife, you need to make that person feel special and don't pursue anyone else Pursue your two Last week, we talked about the vow of partnership and we said that uh, I will make my marriage about we and not about me Because we tend to be very selfish in our marriages We tend to be very selfish in our relationships and we want to make it about us and not about us We want to make it about myself And not about we, I want to make it about me and not about we And when we say, when we talk about the vow of partnership We need to make it about we and not about me Alright, so today we're going to talk about the vow of purity And the vow of purity is this I will confide in you and not hide from you I will confide in you and not hide from you We're going to talk about secrets today And the very first marriage in the book of Genesis We're going to talk about Adam and Eve and how they hid from one another, and how they tried to hide from God. So, uh, in Genesis chapter two, verses twenty-four and twenty-five, it says this: This has kind of been the baseline verse for our series. That that is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, that Hebrew word for the word shame there is the word bush, and this word means to be ashamed. Or to feel completely worthless, to be ashamed, or to feel completely worthless. Now, that's not how Adam and Eve felt uh, when before sin entered the picture. Before they sinned against God, before they sinned against each other, they felt no shame. There was complete and total innocence, and there was complete and total intimacy between them. So they felt no shame. They were not, they did not feel worthless. And sometimes that's how we feel. When we sin against someone or we sin against God, we feel shame and we feel worthless. We feel like uh, our identity is that of a sinner and we are sinful and it causes great shame in our lives. And we try to hide from God. We try to hide from each other. We try to keep secrets and we can't. We can't keep secrets from God. We'll try and hide from God. When we've done something we know we're not supposed to do, we're, okay, I'm just gonna crawl under this table, God. You're not gonna see me, are you? Now, when we sin against God, when we disobey His Word, and we do things that we're not supposed to do, or we do things that that we're forbidden to do, or uh, we don't do the things that we should do, and when we sin against God, that sin has to be punished. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. If you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at Genesis 3, 1 through 15 today. And if you brought a Bible, great. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 2. We're right at the very beginning. Page 2 of Genesis, of, of uh, the Bible in the chair in front of you. And uh, we are going to look at Genesis 3, 1 through 15, or you can always use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet, or the words will be up here on the screen as well. So we'll give you all kinds of options to be able to read God's word with us today. So this is Genesis chapter 3. This is after God has created the heavens and the earth. Uh, God is now going to reveal uh, how he is going to bring about his plan of salvation Uh through the Jewish people. And so we see that God creates humanity in Genesis 2. and Genesis Genesis 3, we get a a specific account of Adam and Eve and the Jewish people. And this is where their story begins. So Genesis 3, 1 through 15. Uh, We'll look at verses 1 through 3 first. Uh, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, the serpent, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, the tempter comes along to tempt Eve. And the tempter comes along and gets her to question God. And, and what happens is he gets, he gets her to doubt God's words, and he does that by twisting God's words. The tempter tempts Eve by twisting God's words. Did God really say? He tries to get Eve to doubt God. Did God really say that you must not eat from, from any tree in the garden? No, that's not what God said. God said you can't eat from this one tree. And Eve begins to wonder, well, maybe is that what God said? And, and she, she, she starts to doubt God. Well, because God said we, we shouldn't even touch it. Well, that's not what God said. So now God's words have been twisted and distorted. And Eve is starting to succumb to temptation. So the tempter, who is a liar, who is the father of lies, the Bible says, the tempter comes along to tempt Eve, and he does this by twisting God's words. Let's keep going. Uh, Genesis 3, verses 4 through 7. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They had to decide who was going to wear the plants in that family. Not my joke, Craig Rochelle, Life Church, Oklahoma, sorry. So if you didn't like it, blame him. Um, that's the blame game. Uh, who's going to wear the plants in that family? <laughs> that's good. Uh, that's good. But we have a situation here now where, where the tempter has twisted and distorted God's words. He's created doubt in Eve's mind. And now uh, he is going to continue this temptation. And he is going to lie to Eve and say, you will not surely die i mean after all god just made you why would he destroy you right why would god kill you when he just created you right i mean come on you're not surely going to die in fact god knows and he begins he again tries to cast doubt on god's word and who god is and says god knows that if you eat from this tree you're going to be like him you're going to be smart you're going to be wise you're going to have knowledge what is god keeping from you And that's the situation that we run into is that somehow the tempter convinces us that God is keeping something from us by the rules or the commandments or the principles and the precepts, that God is keeping something from us. And the tempter lies to us and says, well, God's just keeping you from having fun. God's just keeping you from fulfilling your purpose. God's just keeping you from enjoying life. And we buy into that lie and we do what Eve did. Eve goes ahead, she takes the fruit, not an apple, folks, not an apple, but she takes the fruit and she eats from it. She breaks God's law. She breaks the only rule that they had. You had one rule, and she breaks that rule, and she gives it to her husband, and her husband, the noble man that he is, says, duh, okay. (laughs) And he eats from it as well. The whole time, Adam has been standing there like, huh, talking snake, what do you know? He's listening to this whole conversation. The Bible says he's right there with her. He's listening to this whole conversation. And he doesn't stand up to protect her. He's very passive. Instead of being an active protector, he's a passive bystander. And he just watches this unfold. And then she hands him the fruit and he eats from it too. And then their eyes are opened, and they realize that they're naked. That innocence, that 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 no shame, that that unashamed feeling that they had before is gone. And now all of a sudden, oh my goodness, we are naked. I feel so ashamed and embarrassed, and I need to cover up. And so they they sew leaves together to cover up. Because now they're ashamed. Now they have secrets. Uh, Verses. 8 through 10 Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man where are you he answered I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid When we sin against God when we break God's heart when we break God's commands when we break God's rules we are ashamed and we hide we try to hide from God. And when we sin against our families, when we sin against our spouse, and we try to keep secrets from our spouse, we try and hide from them. And we hide these secrets in our hearts and in our minds. And yet, the whole time, we feel so ashamed of what we've done or what we've thought or the things we're thinking about doing. We're so ashamed of them and we keep them hidden. We keep secrets from our spouses. We keep, try to keep secrets from God. Well, you can't keep any secrets from God. And if you're trying to keep a secret from your spouse, it's going to come out in the light eventually. That light is going to be flipped on, and it is going to be painful. Just like when you're sleeping and someone turns the light on, when the light comes into the darkness and it, it, it hurts your eyes, when the light of truth comes into your life and it exposes your secrets, it will be painful for you and your spouse and your family. We try to keep secrets. But as Pastor Craig says, secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. We'll talk about that in just a second. Let's keep going in Genesis 3. Uh, Genesis three eleven. And he said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, this isn't God not knowing what's going on. God knows everything that's happening. He knows everything that's going on. He's going to see if Adam will fess up to what he's done. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so what happens when sin enters the picture? What happens when the secrets are exposed? There's shame and there's blame. There's shame and there's blame. They feel ashamed because they're naked, even though they had felt no shame before. They were innocent and naive, and they were completely unashamed. And now there's shame, but there's also blame. And Adam blames who first? God. Adam blames God first. The woman that you gave me. God, this is your fault. Everything was going fine. Peachy keen. Everything was great. Just you and me hanging out in the garden all day and then you gave me the woman. And now the woman that you gave me, God, if you hadn't given me the woman this never would have happened. Adam feels pretty good about himself, right? He still ate like a dope. The woman that you gave me. So he blames God first and then he blames Eve. The woman that you gave me. It's her fault. It's his fault. Like I said, he was not an active protector. He was a passive bystander. He saw the whole thing go down, and yet he stood there helpless. He did not protect his wife. Don't talk to that serpent. Instead, he sat by and just watched it happen. Then he's like, I'll eat some. And sure enough, Sin enters the picture, and there's shame, and there's blame. And then what happens? Then Eve blames the serpent. The devil made me do it. Anybody ever say that before? Anybody ever hear somebody say that before? Well, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil may have tempted her, but she did it on her own. She saw it, she wanted it, and she ate it. And then she gave it to her husband, and he saw it, and he wanted it, and he ate it. There is shame, and there is blame. And now this intimate relationship that they had, this intimacy they had was broken. Their relationship was broken. Not only was their relationship with themselves broken, but their relationship with God was broken as well. Look at verses 14 and 15. God's going to bring this whole thing to an end. He is going to fix it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that is a promise. That is a prophecy about Jesus. That is a promise and a prophecy about the Savior, about the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, that God was going to send his Son to fix this whole thing, that there was enmity between the woman and and the serpent, and the serpent was cursed, but the serpent's curse has not been fulfilled just yet. Because the promise is that God is going to send an offspring, God is going to send a son, and his name is Jesus, and he is going to die on the cross for our sins, and he died on the cross for our sins. And that was when the, the, the serpent struck his heel, that, that the serpent uh, caused a wound, caused a, a mark. But you know what? It was a wound that has been healed. Because when Jesus died on the cross, God raised him from the dead on the third day just like he said he would. God raised him from the dead and now he lives forever and he is coming back. And when he does, the second part of that prophecy will come true where he will crush the head of the serpent once and for all that the serpent's head was crushed at Calvary and at that empty tomb. And there is coming a day when Jesus returns and he judges the nations, that he will judge the serpent and the tempter, the liar, the evil one, the accuser, will be condemned to hell for all eternity, never to bother us or anyone else again. And he will end up in hell for all eternity. That is the sentence. He is sitting on death row right now. And the time is drawing near for him to go where he belongs. And he will go. For Christ is victorious. And if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you will believe in him and repent from your sins and turn to God for forgiveness, if you will confess your faith and get baptized, God will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you from all your sins and all your wickedness and all your impurity and he will remove your sins from you. As far as the east is from the west, he will forgive all your transgressions. He will forgive all your sins and forget all about them by his own choice. And he will give you the promise and the hope of eternal life with him. And in a little while, we're going to have a baptism this morning. I'm so excited about it. Maybe you've never made that choice. Maybe you haven't made the decision to be baptized. And you can do that today, too. We have warm clothes that you can dre- change into for baptism this morning. And you can be like little Adria who's going to get baptized today. And, and and maybe today is your day. And we make that invitation every Sunday. Because every Sunday is somebody's day. And it may be yours. So when it comes to this idea of of The vow of purity. The vow of purity is I will confide in you and not hide from you. Because what do we do? We want to hide. When we sin, we want to hide. And we want to keep secrets. But secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. When we keep secrets... Whatever those secrets may be, we break intimacy. And I want to talk a little bit about the secrets that we keep for just a minute. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said this. He says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And this goes for women too, by the way. Oh, we never do that? Not true. Not true. We're all sinners. We all deal with it. We all struggle with it. And so maybe it's that girl on the treadmill at the gym. She's not looking at you, by the way, the way you're looking at her, just saying. And maybe you're having fantasies about her. Or maybe it's the guy in the romance novel or the guy in the soap opera or the guy in the movie. Maybe it's the, your coworker at work, that guy who, who gets you, that guy who understands, the guy who doesn't look like the guy at home. Because he actually goes to the gym not to stare at the girl on the treadmill. He's on the treadmill working out at the gym. Or maybe it's that girl in that video or that guy in that video or that guy in that website, or that girl on that website who just makes it so easy. Maybe it's that, that co-worker that, that, uh, that spends time listening to you and actually hears you. And you're just getting yourself a little too close. Where you're starting to think about things and fantasize about things and dream about things and what could be and, and what might be. You see, adultery doesn't begin in the bedroom. Adultery begins in here. And it begins in here. And if you're thinking it, if you're fantasizing about it, and you're longing for it, you're desiring it, it's going to happen because the tempter is tricky. The tempter is crafty. And that longing glance and that longing stare, that desire for appreciation, that desire for acceptance, that desire gives birth to sin. And the next thing you know, you're doing things that you swore you'd never do. You're doing things that you promised before God and family and friends that you would never do, that you would be faithful till death do us part, and now you are no longer there. And you got secrets, and you're keeping those secrets, and you're hiding those secrets. And secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. And what is time? It is time to shine the light in the darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, it says this, "For For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. No longer do we live that way. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And one of those fruitless deeds of darkness is found in Ephesians 5, 3, where it says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Sexual immorality, sexual adultery, lust, these are improper for God's holy people people that affair in your heart or in your mind is improper for God's holy people that website addiction is improper for God's holy people those videos are improper for God's holy people uh, those things that you're watching those things that you're thinking about those things that you're obsessed with are improper for God's holy people You've got to shine the light in the darkness. You've got to come clean about your secrets. You've got to admit and confess the sins that you're committing, whether they're in your heart or in your mind or in your body. You've got to confess these sins that we are committing. We've got to confess what we're doing. Because in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 28, verse 13, it says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds what? Mercy. If you want to find grace, if you want to find mercy, then you need to come clean. You need to confess those sins, the ones in your heart and in your head and in your body. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we are unrighteous and we are sinful and we are wicked and we sin and we we commit sins all the time. And those sexual sins are the ones that we hide the most. Those sexual sins are the ones, that infidelity, that adultery, that uh, lust. We we tend to hide those the most. And and, No, no, everything's fine. Everything's all right. Everything's okay. And yet you feel you and your spouse drifting apart further and further and further. It's because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. And so what we need to do is we need to take the vow of purity. And the vow of purity says this, I promise I will confide in you, And not hide from you. I promise I will confide in you and not hide from you. Say it with me. I promise I will confide in you and not hide from you. In the temptation, is to hide our secrets and to hide from our spouses. And what we need to do is shine the light in those dark areas of our lives and just illuminate the darkness and say, and it's gonna be painful and it's gonna hurt and it's not gonna be pleasant and it's gonna be, honey, I gotta have a conversation with you. Honey, I have got to make a confession. Honey, I've got to tell you what's going on. Honey, I've got to tell you what I've been doing and I'm sorry. But forgiveness can only come when there's confession. Forgiveness can only come when there is confession, and so if you are struggling in your life, it, secrecy is the enemy of intimacy, and if you long for that intimacy to return, you've got to confess those secrets, and take that vow of purity. I promise, I will not hide, I will confide in you, and not hide from